previously on Breakdown. So testifying was, I was in there for like three hours and it was interesting because, you know, we went over videotapes and I showed things. They asked about you know, State Farm, just all the normal things. And I, I, my job was kind of dispel and explain what was going on. And so that should give everyone great hope. And I think that you saw that in many people that uh, held positions of authority, positions of influence, stood firm, you know, on the law, on the rule of law. And that's a good thing for America. It should give us all great hope and great comfort. And so I think he's trying to be more cautious than what might, you know, be more prudent and more cautious than what a regular case that's not this highly politically charged and that's not quite as salient and that doesn't have such major implications for Georgia politics and national politics. You know, I think that he's going to do everything he can to keep any potential team out. Welcome back to Season 9 of Breakdown, the podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside Georgia's most important cases. We couldn't stay away for too long. I'm Bill Rankin, the AJC's legal affairs reporter. I'm AJC senior reporter Tamar Hallerman. Coming up, we'll explain why prosecutors are focusing on two household names from President Donald Trump's inner circle, and why the judge says one of them may need to take an Uber to come to Atlanta to testify. Plus, we dig into the legal team Trump is assembling. It's led by a heavyweight hip-hop attorney who describes himself with the hashtag Billion Dollar Lawyer. This is Episode 8, Trump's new legal team of Breakdown, the Trump Grand Jury, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Let's start with Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City. He's former President Trump's lawyer and certainly a key focus of the Fulton County Special Purpose Grand Jury investigation into what happened in Georgia after the 2020 presidential election. Giuliani is considered a necessary and material witness, so he was supposed to go, in person, before the special grand jury this past Tuesday on August 9th. But Giuliani's New York attorney, Robert Costello, wanted his client to testify on Zoom or to wait until Giuliani's doctor clears him to hop on an airplane to Atlanta, or to have Fulton prosecutors fly up to New York to interview Giuliani informally in person. But the Fulton DA's office rejected all three counteroffers. That makes sense. It's much better to see a key witness being questioned in person, not on a video screen. Giuliani's lawyer says his client won't be able to fly again until mid-September, and the New York option wouldn't allow the grand jurors to ask questions. We already know from our interview with witnesses, this is an active special grand jury. Remember what state elections official Gabe Sterling told us about his testimony. Kind of like the secretary, I was intrigued at the level of um, uh, engagement from the uh, grand jurors when I was there. There were 17 grand jurors when I was there, and I think 10 of them asked questions. I'm sure that's why that was a non-starter. 
We've learned that Giuliani had two coronary stents placed inside him in early July. On August 2nd, Costello told the DA's office that, because of that operation, Giuliani was not yet cleared for travel. That excuse probably looks pretty lame when the DA's office saw a tweet Giuliani posted the previous day. It read, Having fun in hashtag 603 with the best entertainment reporter, Lauren Conlon. Conlon hosts an entertainment podcast. Hashtag 603 refers to the New Hampshire area code. So, the day before Giuliani's lawyer told Fulton prosecutors that his client was not yet cleared for travel, Giuliani left New York City to visit New Hampshire. It's about a four-hour drive. And in the selfie, Conlon is sticking out her tongue at the camera, while Giuliani is wearing sunglasses, a Trump golf shirt, and a wide grin. Everyone seems to be enjoying themselves. Giuliani's lawyer had this explanation for Fulton County prosecutors about the trip. It wasn't that his client wasn't cleared to travel. He just hasn't been cleared to fly. So on August 8th, one day before Giuliani was to appear in Atlanta, his local lawyer, Bill Thomas, files an emergency motion. It says Giuliani was not trying to inappropriately delay his grand jury testimony or obstruct the investigation. In fact, Giuliani is willing to cooperate. And it notes that on May 20th, Giuliani testified remotely for nine hours before the select committee investigating the January 6th uprising at the Capitol. But the motion also asks Judge Robert McBurney to postpone Giuliani's grand jury testimony until he's cleared to fly. McBurney quickly schedules a hearing for the next day, the day Giuliani was to testify. And the judge excuses the former mayor from having to appear that day. At the hearing, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office is represented by Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. He notes that Giuliani had also purchased tickets to fly to Europe in late July, after he had the stent operation. And so um, I let Mr. Thomas and Mr. Wade know that um, Mr. Giuliani would be excused from not being here today, but the purpose of today's hearing is to sort out when he will be here and in what format. This is Judge McBurney from the bench. I'm going to let the two sides air that out more completely right now, but Mr. Thomas has made clear that Mr. Giuliani is not seeking to not appear, um, but it's a question of when um, he could be down here or if he's not here physically, if there are other ways in which uh, he could appear before the grand jury. Um, The state the district attorney's office consider, can consider those, doesn't need to accept anything short of in-person appearance, but I wanted us to have an opportunity to discuss and to clear up some of the concerns that the district attorney's office raised that, that maybe some of the reasons that Mr. Giuliani offered through his lawyers um, weren't what they seemed to be. Um, I need clarity um, if it turns out that Mr. Giuliani is, is uh, willfully disregarding the now formal invitation to be here, that's problematic. Here's Giuliani's attorney, Bill Thomas. I know the million dollar question is, um, I'll get to that, is when he'll be available. What I can tell you is uh, ideally, we think reasonably available in mid-September, but I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know he is scheduled for a follow-up, uh, I believe in late August. Um, that's what I can tell the court with regards to that. McBurney then says what's likely on the minds of everyone in the courtroom. I don't think I'm disclosing anything I shouldn't because I think it's in a filing. 
um, is that the medical professional said that Mr. Giuliani is not cleared for air travel, AIR. Um, John Madden drove all over the country in his big bus from stadium to stadium. Madden was a Hall of Fame NFL coach and legendary broadcaster. He passed away in December. So one thing we need to explore um, is whether Mr. Giuliani could get here without jeopardizing his recovery and his health um, on a train, on a bus, or Uber, whatever it would be. Um, The focus seems to have been he's got to be on a plane. And New York is not close to Atlanta, but it's not traveling from Fairbanks. So um, I think that needs to be part of what we discussed today. McBurney says from his discussions with the grand jurors in his supervisory role, he understands why it's important for some witnesses to testify at certain times, as opposed to delaying an appearance for weeks or a month away. The sequencing is important. Again, Wade says the options suggested by Giuliani's lawyers are unacceptable. So uh, our communications with Mr. Costello um, largely centered around this this Zoom concept, um, wherein we shared with Mr. Costello that there was no interest in uh, going through the the channels to uh, facilitate a Zoom conversation, not interested in it. Um, The second point of uh, interest with Mr. Costello became then how about a uh, informal sort of voluntary interview process, which again, we shared with Mr. Costello, no interest there. We need him to be here in front of the grand jury. Thomas tells McBurney that Giuliani bought the plane tickets to go to Europe before he knew he needed the stent operation. And he produces a copy of Giuliani's passport to show he didn't leave the country in July. He also says Giuliani was driven to New Hampshire. McBurney then turns to Wade. So what is ultimately then the district attorney's request? I'm, I'm not at this point saying Mr. Giuliani is in contempt of anything. I excused his presence today. We need to see what ultimately the next directive is going to be, because I can modify orders. Um, and uh, I want it to be realistic uh, and feasible, but also something um, that is somewhat aligned with the way the investigation work that you and the grand jury are undertaking is unfolding. Wade says he would like Giuliani to testify either in two days or on August 17th, the following Wednesday. But Thomas continues to push back, even though it seems like it shouldn't be all that difficult for Giuliani to get in a car or a train and head down to Atlanta. With respect to your question about the feasibility of August 11th or August 17th, Um, Judge, what I would submit is that we're in the same place on August 11th or August 17th as we are today. Now, obviously, if the court makes an order, we're going to do our best to comply with that order. Um, But Mr. Giuliani is a 78-year-old man. Um, He has to travel um, when in the airports by um, wheelchairs. There's some knee issues um, that I'm not fully briefed on. Um, But we're in the same position on August 11th or August 17th. Um, I have not, let me say this. Again, if the court orders that he traveled by Greyhound to Atlanta, we're going to do what the court orders him to do. I think that's impractical um, for any number of reasons. Um, It is not a four-hour trip to New Hampshire where he's traveling by private car. Uh, It's just different in particular, given that he has 
um, these health concerns. Now, I understand that the doctor didn't say he could not travel by Greyhound for 17 hours or 20 hours. I think that's just impractical. McBurney says he's going to set a date for Giuliani's grand jury testimony. But he says if Giuliani's doctor says it's not safe for him to travel by land to Atlanta, he'll pick another date. I propose we shift Mr. Giuliani's appearance date to August 17th. Um, He'll need to be here in person. Um, That gives him uh, a week and a day to sort out whether he would travel by private coach or bus or whatever it would be. And it's, it's over different segments. Maybe he goes down to Washington um, as the first part and reconnects with people there and then travels another few hours. I don't mean to prescribe it, um, but um, I'm picking that later date because I certainly want to give Mr. Giuliani, his legal team, and the medical professionals an opportunity to weigh in on this. And if a doctor says it's inconsistent with his healthcare situation, we're going to change the date. Um, This is important, but it's not that important. So we'll see how this plays out. It could be we'll be waiting outside the courthouse in the steamy Atlanta heat on the 17th to try and catch Giuliani before or after he testifies. As we've said, Giuliani was a key player in Trump's attempt to overturn the election results in Georgia and the other battleground states that went for Biden. He was one of the architects behind the slate of fake Republican electors. They cast votes for Trump while the official electors were casting their electoral college votes for President Joe Biden. Giuliani appeared three times before Georgia's State House and Senate committees in December 2020, making claims of election fraud that have been debunked by state and federal authorities. Here's one of his false claims about a Fulton County election worker at State Farm Arena on election night. That woman, look at her taking those ballots out. Look at them scurrying around with the ballots. Nobody in the room, hiding around. They look like this. They look like they're passing out dope. He also said this. When you look at that rejection rate, and when you look at what you saw on the video, which to me was a smoking gun, powerful smoking gun, well, I don't, don't have to be a genius to figure out what happened. I, I don't have to be a genius to figure out that those votes are not legitimate votes. You don't put legitimate votes under a table. No. <laughs> Wait until you throw the opposition out and in the middle of the night count them. We would have to be fools to think that. So uh, no, no need to push it any further, but there's more than ample evidence to conclude that this election was a sham. And here is Fulton election worker Shea Moss testifying before the select committee investigating the January 6th uprising. Representative Adam Schiff is asking her to respond to one of Giuliani's claims. In one of the videos we just watched, Mr. Giuliani accused you and your mother of passing some sort of USB drive to each other. Uh, What was your mom actually handing you on that video? A ginger mint. This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents hip hop's most pulled elements. 
are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Giuliani made claims of election fraud in several states, not just Georgia. Shortly before Moss testified, the select committee heard from Rusty Bowers, Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives. Like Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, Bowers refused to go along with an illegal scheme to replace Arizona's legal slate of electors with a false slate who would elect Trump. Bowers said on the same day Arizona Governor Doug Ducey certified Joe Biden as the winner of the 2020 election in Arizona, some Republican lawmakers met at a Phoenix hotel. Also present were Trump lawyers Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. Here is Representative Adam Schiff questioning Bowers about what happened at that meeting. And at that meeting, uh, did Mr. Giuliani raise any specific allegations of election fraud again? Uh, His initial comments were, again, the litany of groups of illegal individuals or people deceased, etc. And he had brought that up. And I wasn't alone in that meeting. There were others and other members of the Senate uh, aggressively questioned him. And then I proceeded to question him on the proof that he was going to bring me, etc. But he did bring those up, yes. And these other legislatures, uh, legislators were also Republican members of the Senate? They were, yes, sir. Uh, and did they also press him for proof of these allegations? Uh, they pressed him very strongly, two of them especially, very strongly. Then it becomes clear that Giuliani didn't possess records backing up his claims. Uh, and at some point, uh, did Mr. Giuliani ask one of the other attorneys uh, on his team to help him out with the evidence? He did. He asked Jenna Ellis, who was sitting to his right, uh, One thing was that it was more to the point of was there sufficient evidence or action that we could justify the recalling of the electors. But at that part of the conversation, I know he he referred to someone else. But he did ask, do we have the proof to Jenna, Miss Ellis? And she said, yes. And I said, I want the names. Do you have the names? Yes. Do you have how they voted. We have all the information. I said, can you get to me that information? Did you bring it with you? She said, no. Both Mr. Giuliani asked her and I asked generally if they brought it with them. She said, no, it's not with me, but we can get it to you. And I said, then you didn't bring me the evidence, which was repeated in different iterations for some period of time. Uh, at some point, did uh, one of them uh, make a comment that uh, they didn't have evidence, but they had a lot of theories? That was Mr. Giuliani. And, and what exactly did he say, and how that come up? My recollection, he said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. And I don't know if that was a gaffe, or maybe he, he didn't think through what he said, but both myself and others in my group, the three in my group and my, my counsel, both remembered that specifically, and afterwards, We kind of laughed about it. Just to let you know, Bowers ran for a seat in the state Senate because he was term limited as Speaker of the House. He was recently defeated by a Trump-backed opponent. 
and we shared that exchange because we're curious as to whether Giuliani faces possible criminal charges here in Georgia. We know he spouted off similar claims of fraud here before the state legislature, but, like we've said, Georgia's General Assembly does not swear in witnesses before they testify. But as Giuliani's subpoena notes, he doubled down on his false claims even after the Secretary of State's office and other officials debunked them. You've also heard from a number of legal experts in prior episodes who say it's possible that District Attorney Fonnie Willis could seek a racketeering or conspiracy indictment against a number of individuals. That could include Giuliani. So, is Trump's personal lawyer a target of the special purpose grand jury investigation? We'd sure like to know that. And not coincidentally, Giuliani's local attorney, Bill Thomas, wants to know the same thing. Here he is during the hearing before Judge McBurney. I do have an ancillary request, and the court may say deal with that somewhere else or, or not. Um, we have, uh, in, in several communications to Mr. Wade, um, I have made the inquiry of whether or not Mr. Giuliani is a target of this investigation. I know that we could probably have some other hearing about privileges and things like that. Steve Bright, a law professor at Yale and Georgetown Law Schools, explains why Thomas wants to know this. Well, if he's a target, they probably will want to assert or they may want to assert their Fifth Amendment rights, thinking that anything Giuliani might say could possibly result in him being charged. That is, that it could incriminate him. No prosecutor at the hearing speaks up to say whether Giuliani is a target or not. But McBurney says he's glad Thomas brought it up. I suspected that would come up today. Uh, Fair inquiry. I'm not going to require the state to respond in this setting, Um, but... um, I would implore, it's not in order, um, that the state at least address that with counsel for Mr. Giuliani before he gets here. Let's assume for a minute the 17th works out. You can't get a doctor's note for that. Um, And so he'll be here. You know full well, Mr. Wade, from other witnesses we've dealt with, um, depending on your answer to that question, the time in front of the grand jury Um, get smaller um, or larger. There are fewer things you can ask. There are fewer things that get said, et cetera. Um, And I think it would help um, Mr. Giuliani's legal team be more prepared for the inevitable discussion that you and Mr. Wooten, Mr. Wakeford, Mr. Thomas, and I will have um, about whatever designation um, your office applies to Mr. Giuliani, what impact that has on the extent of... uh, his time in front of the grand jury. Just as we were recording this episode, Robert J. Costello, Giuliani's lawyer from New York, told me that Giuliani had just been notified that he's a target of the special purpose grand jury investigation. He was not sent any letter. As I understand it, this was a phone call from Nathan Wade to our local counsel in Atlanta, Bill Thomas, informing him that uh, Giuliani was a target. Costello said they'd followed up after the court hearing and asked the DA's office again if Giuliani was indeed a target. So after that, we asked again, and they again refused. Uh, And when we pointed out that they had given that information to all of these uh, alternate electors, uh, they said that that was true, but they've since changed their mind. I've never heard that excuse from a DA's office or a U.S. attorney's office, but that was their position. They changed their mind. Well, if that's true, then I guess they changed their mind yet again today when uh, they picked up the phone and called Bill Thomas and told him that. 
I asked him how that changes his approach when Giuliani appears before the grand jury. Well, uh, listen, I can't reveal uh, what it is we are going to do or not going to do. That's privileged information. But I do point out that uh, they told the judge in New York when they started this process that Giuliani was a material witness. So if I were in your shoes, I'd want to know why they told the judge in New York one thing and they're telling us something else. But in any event, we will be there on Wednesday and we will deal with all of this and with Mr. Nathan Wade or whoever is conducting the examination. I also asked if, because of this, Giuliani would plead the fifth. No, I'm not going to answer questions like that. Another big development is that Trump has assembled his legal team for the special purpose grand jury. He hired Atlanta attorney Drew Finling's law firm, as well as Atlanta lawyer Jennifer Little, She's a former assistant district attorney from DeKalb County, right next door to Fulton. I consider him an ultimate professional, and he is an excellent lawyer. That's lawyer Dwight Thomas giving his take on Findling. Thomas says he's been consulting with Findling, Little, and other lawyers representing people who are a focus of the special purpose grand jury. You know, he, he's representing a, a lot of uh, high-profile uh, 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 people, I- including uh, uh, people in the music industry and people currently in the music industry. And he, I mean, very high-profile uh, uh, entertainers and artists. Finling has a long list of prominent clients. These include some local sheriffs who faced criminal charges. In one trial, his client, Clayton County Sheriff Victor Hill, beat all 27 charges against him including accusations of racketeering, theft by taking, making a false statement, influencing a witness, and violating his oath as a public officer. Finling has also represented former NBA stars Shaquille O'Neal and Dennis Rodman, Grammy-nominated singer Faith Evans, and Emmy Award-winning actor Cat Williams. Finling has really made a name for himself, and perhaps a small fortune, representing famous hip-hop superstars and rappers. They include... Cardi B, Gucci Mane, Waka Flocka Flame, and Offset, Quavo, and Takeoff from the hip-hop trio Migos. Don't forget his hashtag, Billion Dollar Lawyer. Finling is a past president of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Here he is speaking before one of its conferences two years ago. I live in Atlanta. Atlanta is, as some people call it, hip-hop Hollywood. And while I am by no means, no stretch of the imagination, an aficionada of hip-hop, I've come to learn so much about that industry that really drives my city. And we have to learn everything about our clients. We have to learn about the people that we represent. And we know one of the reasons that we're convened here today is because of the impact that this criminal injustice system has on people of color, and particularly young black men. And so, Part of learning about who our clients are is learning something about what they appreciate and something that they gravitate to. And I've made myself understand this genre and this artistic form of expression. 
Findling goes on to say how unfairly targeted and misunderstood rappers and their music have been, not to mention how law enforcement has completely fabricated allegations against them that have been rubber-stamped by judges and the public. Over the years, Findling has not hesitated to call Trump out on Twitter and to criticize him, sometimes pretty severely. In 2017, for example, after Trump fired the U.S. attorney in New York, Finling tweeted the termination was, quote, a sign of fear that he would aggressively investigate the stench hovering over POTUS. And he's also called Trump's criticism of the Central Park Five, teens wrongly convicted of raping a jogger, quote, racist, cruel, sick, unforgivable, and un-American. In 2018, LeBron James criticized Trump during a CNN interview with Don Lemon. The reason for the interview was James opening his I Promise School for at-risk kids in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. But James took the opportunity to say Trump was using sports to divide the country, referring to Trump's condemnation of NFL players taking a knee during the national anthem. Trump tweeted, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. In response, Findling tweeted, quote, POTUS pathetic once again. And here's Findling once again addressing the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyer Conference. On a big screen, he plays a Fox News segment covering the dust-up between Trump and the NBA superstar. It shows host Laura Ingram listening to an interview of LeBron James in which James says Trump doesn't understand people and doesn't care about them. Then Ingram says this. As someone once said, shut up and dribble. Here's Finling. He's referring to Trump University and James's I Promise School. So here's this guy that, let's do a contrast. There's one guy that starts a university that just rips working people off, right? There's one guy that for, is, is a fraudster. We all agree with that. I mean, every day is like discovery in a federal case, all right? <laughs> and, and then there's another guy that starts a school for free. And so the one guy that's decent and that gives back is told to shut up and just dribble. In other words, hey, black guy, let me say this on national TV, just do that thing, you know, entertain us. So as all the white season ticket holders can sit on the side of the go, Mar marvelous job. LeBron, Le LeBron is doing wonderful today. That's what they want. I, I, I say LeBron is, is a fine athlete, but tell LeBron not to speak. We don't, want, we don't want to hear him speak. That's all that message was. This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word ajc.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. 
Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. I interviewed Finling in March, long before he was retained by Trump to be his attorney. I was asking about special purpose grand juries, given his work as one of Victor Hill's defense attorneys. Here's his answer to one question about the Fulton County grand jury and how Trump might be able to defend himself, especially regarding the January 2nd, 2021 Raffensperger phone call. They're just trying to find out what people's answers are and opinions as to what took place, what factually took place and what didn't take place. There's a difference between a crime being perpetrated and not the best decision making. People make poor decisions all the time, but they're not prosecuted and they're not alleged crimes. And that's just a decision, you know, that's going to have to be made. It's a tough one. You know, I can't tell him how to defend his case, um, but his his lawyers, you know, there's a continuum, right, between a perfect phone call and a perpetrated crime. And no one cares whether it was a perfect phone call. The only question is, does it surpass permeate the threshold, the barrier that exists between of a crime being committed. It could just fall short. It could be an imperfect phone call, but it's not a crime. It's just an imperfect phone call. It's interesting that, at that time, Findling says he doesn't know which lawyers represent Trump, and for that reason he couldn't tell them what to do. Yet now, of course, he can. The day it became public that Findling was representing Trump, his law firm gave us a statement. It has some strong language. It does. It reads, quote, This team may differ in our personal politics. However, all the attorneys were compelled to act when it became obvious that an abuse of the system was being perpetrated in this local and civil grand jury proceeding. We're committed to fighting this misuse of the law and taxpayer resources. As local defense attorneys, we see the impact of this misuse on a daily basis as the Fulton County jail population continues to overflow with citizens who wait months and even years to be appointed counsel and given their day in court. The team is confident that there have been no violations of Georgia law. The focus on President Trump may be newsworthy, but this investigation is wholly misdirected and politically driven. There's also Jennifer Little. She was a prosecutor for the DeKalb County District Attorney's Office and was named Attorney of the Year there in 2010. She's now both a civil litigator and criminal defense attorney. Atlanta lawyer Robert Highsmith, who often represents public officials when they're under investigation, says he's turned a little on numerous occasions with great success. I have worked uh, with Jen Little in a wide variety of of matters, many of them very sensitive, many of them uh, involving very high-profile clients who have both civil and, frankly, more frequently criminal exposure. And she has uh, just done absolutely fantastic work, uh, again, on behalf of some some fairly high-profile folks over the years. I I, I would say defendants, except in, in many cases we kept you know, Jen's work kept them from ever becoming defendants for a public official. I mean, you know, by the time, you know, 
that matters a lot less what, and sometimes it matters a lot less what happens after the indictment because the, you know once the indictment comes down, the, the political and, and reputational damage is done. Uh, and and her work uh, pre-indictment uh, has and and in the investigative stage of various matters that she and I worked on together has been has been exemplary and has has really saved a lot of folks bacon. Little also gave us a statement the day her representation became public. She says, quote, These attorneys were handpicked on behalf of the president, and the composition of our team only adds to the integrity of his defense. A politically diverse group of attorneys with differing perspectives have all come to the same conclusion. There have been no violations of Georgia law. We as a team look forward to vigorously defending our client and the Constitution. Finally, there's Dwight Thomas. He's also had his share of high-profile cases. These include representing former DeKalb County CEO Vernon Jones before two special-purpose grand juries and former DeKalb CEO Burl Ellis before another special grand jury. I'm a, what you call a consultant attorney, and I consult with both uh, Jennifer, Drew, and other lawyers who have either an interest in that special-purpose grand jury matter or have a client who is a, who is the subject of that matter. Uh, I've you know uh, I, I've, I've been reached out to by several lawyers, you know, to, to get you know uh, the benefit of my expertise and experience and knowledge about special purpose grand juries. Here's how Thomas describes special purpose grand juries. It's just a whole different breed of 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 work because. I, I look at special purpose grand juries akin to more as a civil, uh, and, 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 I, and I consider it, and I, I think the law ultimately would agree with me that it is a civil uh, inquiry, but it can be used as a cover for a criminal investigation. Thomas also says Trump's call to Raffensperger shouldn't be considered a criminal act because, first of all, Lawyers representing both sides were on the call, and second, there was pending litigation between the two sides. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, everybody had a lawyer present, and that's then that's problematic. When you know, in terms of finding something criminal as opposed to something that may be not uh, uh, politically correct. You know, when everybody has a lawyer. And everybody is, is, is talking and everybody knows everybody has a lawyer. It's kind of difficult to claim pressure, uh, you know, in, in a legitimate sense, because, you know, oftentimes as lawyers, when we deal with an opposing counsel and their criminal proceedings, you know, heated discussions happen. You just can't be thin-skinned or you can't be uh, uh, too um, weak about how you present your arguments, present your position. That was litigation, and and when you read the transcript of the call, uh, everything that you see on the call is also part of the lawsuit. We once again turn to Norm Eisen, counsel for House Democrats during Trump's first impeachment trial and co-author of the Brookings Institution report on the Fulton County case. He says Finling will have to carefully navigate his way going forward. Look, I've been practicing criminal law for a long time. I've uh, done defense work. I've represented the government. 
Um, and Mr. Findling has an outstanding reputation um, in uh, the criminal defense bar, not just in Atlanta, but nationally. However, he's going to need every bit of that expertise that he's derived over many years in order to handle this case because it is the representation from hell. Eisen says there's also these factors Fendling and his legal team have to consider. They were bad even before Mr. Fendling took on this case, starting with the smoking gun tape and taking it from there of, of Trump's demands in Georgia. But I think with the DOJ uh, serving its search warrant, you know, there's a miasma now around Trump that is going to be very, very challenging for any defense lawyer. On the plus side, he does have experience with high-profile cases, but I don't know if he's ever dealt with a client like Donald Trump. Number one, Trump doesn't like to pay his lawyers, and there's a long list of disaffected uh, former counsel to prove it. Number two, there's this exceptionally powerful evidence that Mr. Findling's going to have to contend with. And then number three, uh, you have the fact that Trump has a history of getting his lawyers into trouble. Giuliani was once a very respected name. Then came his association with Donald Trump. More recently, John Eastman and Jeffrey Clark, Trump's legal advisors in his... Uh, what the 1-6 committee calls attempted coup. Both of them are under bar investigation now. I should disclose that I have been part of filing bar complaints against both of them in my capacity as an ethics expert. Um, and Mr. Giuliani has actually been suspended from the practice of law. So that also represents a tremendous uh, challenge that I think makes this a truly hellish retention the other big news is that Lindsey Graham lost his bid to quash his subpoena to testify before the special purpose grand jury. As of now, he's scheduled to be there on August 23rd. His lawyers, including former Trump White House counsel Don McGahn, appeared in Atlanta before U.S. District Judge Lee Martin May on August 10th. During the hearing, it became clear that Fulton prosecutors don't want to ask Graham only about the two phone calls the senator placed to Secretary of State Raffensperger and his staff in the weeks following the 2020 presidential election. They also want to know of any coordinated effort there may have been between Graham and the Trump campaign to overturn the election. Graham's legal team raised a number of arguments, most notably that he's shielded from testifying by the speech or debate clause. This constitutional provision protects members of Congress from being questioned in court about legislative business. But in an order issued August 15th, Judge May said there are considerable areas of the grand jury's inquiry related to Graham that are political in nature rather than legislative. For that reason, he can be questioned about it. Graham had argued that his phone calls were simply information gathering in his oversight role as the then chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Also, he wanted to make sure that Georgia's election results were valid because he was going to have to certify the 2020 presidential results. But Judge May noted that individuals on the calls have publicly suggested that Graham wasn't only engaged in legislative fact-finding. Instead, 
They say he suggested that Georgia elections officials change their signature verification process and that he even implied altering the state's results by throwing out ballots. The judge said the record in the case needs to be developed more fully in order to decide whether the entirety of Graham's calls to Georgia elections officials were legislative activity. Also, May said if Graham cajoled or exhorted Georgia elections officials to take certain actions, the grand jury can ask him about that. It looks like Graham will fight this every step of the way. Even before May issued her ruling, he said this at a conference in Greenville, South Carolina. We will take this as far as we need to take it. I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. I had to vote on certifying an election. This is ridiculous. This weaponization of the law needs to stop. So I will use the courts and we'll go as far as we need to go and do whatever needs to be done to make sure that people like me can do their job without fear of some county prosecutor coming after you. And shortly after May issued a ruling, Graham's office issued a statement. It says, the Senator plans to appeal May's ruling to the Federal Appeals Court in Atlanta. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals currently has 11 judges. Six are Trump appointees. We're also expecting to hear other developments over the next few days from some of the other Trump campaign attorneys who were subpoenaed alongside Graham and Giuliani. There's John Eastman, the former law school dean who reportedly built out the fake elector scheme. He is scheduled to appear at a hearing before a judge in his home state of New Mexico. There's also Jenna Ellis, who worked closely with Giuliani and appeared with him at one of Georgia's statehouse hearings. She has her hearing in Colorado. Jackie Pick, a Dallas-based lawyer and podcaster who also spoke at Georgia's statehouse hearings, is fighting her subpoena. Pick said testifying would be an undue burden on her schedule due to professional commitments. She also argued that Texas law does not allow a special-purpose grand jury to compel its citizens to appear in Georgia for testimony. And Pick also argues that her subpoena misidentifies her as a member of the Trump campaign legal team. Finally, there's Kenneth Chesbro, a Trump campaign attorney. He appears to be ready to testify. Fulton prosecutors say Chesbro worked with the leadership of the Georgia GOP to get 16 fake electors to cast electoral college votes for Trump on the same day the official electors cast their votes for Biden. Prosecutors also say Chesbro worked directly with Giuliani to carry out the plan. Chesbro's lawyer, Scott Grubman, issued this statement on his client's behalf. At all times relevant to the various ongoing investigations, Mr. Chesbro was acting as an attorney for the Trump campaign. While Mr. Chesbro has no intention of standing in the way of any lawful investigation into the allegations surrounding the 2020 presidential election, as an attorney, he is obligated to maintain client confidences in accord with his legal and ethical obligations, which he plans to do unless and until a court orders otherwise. That being said, as an attorney for the campaign, Mr. Chesborough acted in good faith to advise his clients on legitimate strategy options based on careful analysis of the relevant constitutional and statutory text, federal court decisions, historical precedents, and articles by respected legal scholars. Next on Breakdown, there's a lot to keep up with. It seems like new developments are popping up almost every day, so you can be certain we'll be back soon. As always, thanks so very much for listening. You can follow our daily coverage on our website, AJC.com. 
And if you really want to support local journalism, particularly our journalism, please subscribe to the AJC. Please be safe and take care. Until next time, I'm Bill Rankin. And I'm Tamar Hallerman. This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.